Let's put our hands together just a little bit longer and give it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. There's nothing like being in the house of God in a Pentecostal church on a Sunday night. I love what I feel in this sanctuary today. And what an honor to be back here at Bethlehem Church in Potts Camp. I love and appreciate you people so very much. I like the, I like the vibe that's around here. This is a good place, a good church, a great future, great leadership. And it's just an honor to be here on this Easter Eve. Man, are you ready for the word of the Lord? If you have your Bibles, we're going to Psalm, Psalm 133, and we'll commence to read in verse number one. As you're turning there, I want to salute the bishop, Pastor Bishop Steve Wilson and his wonderful wife. I want to give honor to the shepherd of this house, uh, Pastor and Sister Vasquez and their precocious daughters. We love and appreciate them so much. And I want to just say thank you to all of you people for being so generous. You're not only generous with your time and with your finances, but you're generous with your pastor in allowing him to travel and to bless the work of God. He would never say this, but I'll say it. I believe he's doing the work of an apostle. And, and he is helping out in so many mission fields. And it's such a blessing. I think I mentioned this the last time I was here, but I want to reiterate it because I believe it. The only thing worse than having a pastor that everybody wants to hear preach is to have a pastor that nobody wants to hear preach. You've guys have got a pastor with a message, and a voice, and a vision, and, and he is needed, not just here local, but he's needed abroad as well. And so we're working together to get the work of God done. But we're going to take this scripture here. This is, I think this is my favorite psalm. And if in my Bible, up at the top, there's what's called a superscription which says something about the purpose of the psalm. It's a psalm of degrees. Psalms of degrees are found 15 times in the book of Psalms, and they were psalms of ascent, which meant that they were meant to be sung or recited on the journey to the temple and walking up the southern steps of, those, of the temple. These psalms were recited in. This is what the scripture said. It says, Behold. Now, when I behold, that means, whoa, look there. The, the, the modern day North Mississippi equivalent is looky there. In other words, what I'm pointing out right there is something unusual. This is not an everyday occurrence. There is a sight right here that is unusual enough to stop and give it your attention. He said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. If you can find brethren that stay unified long enough that they're dwelling together. That's rare. A church that stays in a spirit of unity, that's rare. If you ever find one, you better behold it. And so the psalmist, and I can imagine here that there's a pause after verse 1. He's looking at the sight, brethren, in unity. And in his mind, he's looking for inspiration of how do you describe a group of people in unity. He says it is like 
the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and it went to the skirts of his garments. It's as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. My text tonight is, For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Can you receive God's word with an amen? God bless you. You can be seated. Charles Dickens wrote a very famous book that I have never read and have no plans to ever read called The Tale of Two Cities. But I have read the opening line of this book, and it's one that I'm sure all of us have heard numerous times. He said, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And he is highlighting the fact that oftentimes life is filled with paradoxes. That at the same time things are going extremely good, it can be at that same moment that there are some things that are extremely bad. And this applies on so many different sectors of life. But I think that for those of us who really have our heart into church work, for those who are at the core of the church winning souls, there are times when we relate to Dickens' opening line that it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It is the best of times because this is the day for the apostolic church. Post-COVID denominational churches have dwindled. They shut down for months on end. They opened up with social distancing, mandated face diapers on everybody, and could not imagine why people didn't come back to church. And as they have dwindled, there's a lot of talk in the denominational world of consolidating joining different churches together just to try to keep the lights on. But the Holy Ghost Church, the Bible-believing church, the place where there is substance, is alive and well. The apostolic church is growing. Every church I know has having the biggest crowds that they have had in years, more people getting the Holy Ghost than they've ever seen get the Holy Ghost the apostolic movement is blowing and growing right now. It is a great day to be in the one God, Jesus' name, tongue-talking church. And this is our day. It is a great day. It is a wonderful time. But at the same time, God is blessing with revival and growth. and New buildings are being built. It's no wonder that this is the time when the enemy is working harder to disrupt what God's doing than he ever has before. It's kind of like when the church is stagnated, there's a little truce between us and the adversary. He just fights a little bit because we're only advancing a little bit. But when the church starts taking big strides forward, you can mark it down that with every new level, there comes a new devil that we have to fight. And so we can expect that as we march deeper into the end time, the spirits of hell are going to fight harder than they have ever fought before. Now, I am not an expert on spiritual warfare, and I'm a little bit leery of those who claim to be. But from observation, I've been in the ministry now 30-some years and pastored 18. I'm not real smart, but I'm not exactly dumb either. I'm somewhere in between smart and dumb. But I got a good dose of common sense. 
And I've got some Holy Ghost common sense. And it seems like that when the adversary comes to fight, when the church comes under demonic opposition, the opposition does not come from some scary, dark, foggy spirit that floats up out of the hollow and some apparition with a demonic face hanging in the sanctuary. We look and say, there, there is a spirit, an evil spirit. Maybe it works like that sometimes, but it seems to me that when the enemy really starts working on someone, he finds something in us that Paul terms as a work of the flesh. He said, now the works of the flesh are these. It's adultery, fornication, it's witchcraft, lasciviousness, uncleanness, hatred, variance, emulation. So there are some things in us. Everybody here has got an element of all of those works of the flesh. And most of us will tend to have a weakness towards one of those things in that list. If memory serves me correctly, there are 17 works of the flesh that Paul lists there. And then he said there are such like, so there is more. The enemy is going to find something that we already have a propensity towards. And the evil spirit begins to influence. I don't believe a Holy Ghost-filled person can be devil-possessed, but we can certainly be influenced by the enemy. We can feel the enemy's suggestions. And I think all of us have probably felt suggestions by the enemy. And so if a person has got a propensity towards immorality or fornication or uncleanness, that's where the demonic spirit is going to center his attack. Because he knows that if we can get people fornicating and committing adultery, it disrupts what God's doing in the church. An outbreak of adultery or fornication, it, it, it doesn't just affect the people that are involved. It affects the whole body. But I notice here, Reading through Galatians 5, when Paul talks about the works of the flesh, he gives 17 of them. But 10 out of the 17 are specifically works of the flesh that are divisive. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath. Strife, seditions, that's forming little cliques in the church. Either over personality or ideas or we have little issues. Heresies, envyings, murders. And so this tells me that the bulk of our spiritual warfare is going to be fought over divisive tendencies that the enemy comes to amplify there is something in me that naturally wants to divide from you division is something that is inherent to human nature and when you get a church in revival and the devil is fighting it is no wonder that the devil will find some small division and before you know it, there's a little otherworldly something that gets into that and the problem gets exasperated and the rift grows. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 3, the Apostle Paul, he said it pretty plain. He said, for you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? So what this tells me is that a spiritual church is a church that leans towards unity. But a carnal church is one that embraces division. I don't know about you, but I want a spirit of unity in the church. We need a spirit of unity in the church. We do not want a spirit of division to be amongst God's people. 
Now, over the last couple of years, as a pastor, our church has grown. We've seen the greatest blessings and miracles we've ever seen. But I have fought divisive spirits and traits and tendencies that tried to pop up in the congregation more than any time in my 18 years of pastoring the church in Memphis. And we have wonderful people. We have a wonderful church. And what I find is a lot of times divisions don't happen over doctrines. Those will be easy to fix because we could teach a Bible lesson and just say this is what the Bible teaches. But there's certain ideologies that get in. I don't know if this has ever happened here, so I'm just going to talk about home. We, it's what I call the worship, worship wars. Some people love the new songs. We sing new songs. We introduce new songs every month. In fact, when I come to church, I don't know the lyrics of anything we sing. If we didn't have a screen, I could not sing. And I'm there like it's a new world every day. And I'm just old enough that I like coming to Potts Camp and hearing nothing but the blood. And we've got a group of people that they want to sing all new stuff. But then we've got a group of people that don't like this new music. They want the old music. So we got a group that basically, they're not saying these words, but it's kind of like, I ain't worshiping if it ain't into the singing to the Lord hymn book with that red cover. <laughs> and there's other people, if we sing out those songs, it's like, no, I want some new stuff. So we have factions. We got a group that says it's way too loud. And then we got another group that says, I can't hear. It's too hot in here. And the other group's over there saying it's too cold. One group says we need to save money in this church. We're spending too much money. And another group said, man, we need to buy more stuff. Pastor, buy, buy. I mean, I've, you know the horse leech has two daughters crying, give, give. I pastor both of those daughters here in my church. We got to say, we got to spin. We got to spin. And these things, we can laugh about them. But when you're in the moment, they're real. They're real. Paul dealt with this in Corinth. Corinthians. The Corinthian church was very divided. It was full of sectarianism. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul said this. Now, Paul started a church at Corinth. He said, now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. Everyone say Paul. Paul was the founder of the church. He was the pastor that most of those people come in under. So we have a group of people that says, my loyalty is to the elder. It's to Paul. But we have another group that says, I am of Apollos. Paul was in Corinth for 18 months. History says that upwards of 80,000 people likely got saved. Before it was done, it was the second largest church in the New Testament era. Paul was there 18 months, and he turns it over to Apollos because the guy that brings it to one point is not always the guy to carry it to the next point. And so Apollos comes in, and he's a gifted preacher, and there's a group of people that says, man, I am glad Paul retired and we got Apollos. But then there's another group of people. They said, I am of Cephas. Now, Cephas is another name for Peter. And scholars believe that this group was people that had sat in a church some other region where Peter's ministry had dug out the church. And so these were converts of the apostle Peter who moved to Corinth while Paul and Apollos was there. But we have a fourth group. If I could get the scripture back on the screen. Don't take my word from me. This is a group that says, I am of Christ. Four groups. 
One group said, I'm with the old pastor. The second group is, I am with the new pastor. The third group is, I like it how they did it at my other church. And this fourth group is the worst one of all. It's the ones that said, I am of Christ. I don't need a preacher. I get mine straight from God. Putting it local. Well, I am of Brother Wilson. I like how Brother Wilson did it. Someone else says, I like how Pastor V does it. Someone else says, well, I moved here from another church, and I'm just here in Mississippi because of da-da-da-da-da. And, and really, my old church, they really did it right. And then we got another group of people says, you know what? I get mine straight from God, and God told me this, and God told me that. And God ain't telling me nothing that they're doing around here. So what they're doing is wrong because Jesus told me different. One thing I get sick of hearing as a pastor is people telling me God told me. Because you can't argue with God. Someone told me the other day, God told me to quit the church. <laughs> what can I say? I can't argue with God. God told you to quit. And so this sectarianism, it gets in the church. It's not just like that local, but it's national. One says, I am ALJC. I'm UPC. I'm WPF. I'm independent. And before you know it, the body of Christ has got all of these micro fractures all over the place. I like it this way. If you take a windshield of a car, I don't know anything about glass, but I know if you take a windshield and you throw a concrete block at it, you're probably going to fracture it. But they got some kind of a film on that glass where it doesn't just shatter into pieces. It shatters, but the, but the windshield is held together. And so if you're sitting in the car, you've got a spider web of cracks all across the uh, front and, and the windshield's still deflecting the rain and the wind, but it's fractured. It's working only to a small degree of what it could be working as if all of those fractures were healed. But I'm afraid sometimes in the body of Christ, it's like that. Over time, we have these micro-fractures. They're not enough to make us to leave the church. They're not enough that we backslide. But man, this family did this to me, so I'm not going to their party. She didn't invite my kid to her kid's birthday party. They didn't come to my shower. They didn't come to my wedding. He stayed home for my funeral. In fact, I know he went fishing when they was burying grandma. And, and before you know, we've got all of these micro-fractures before you it's all said and done the local church as somebody's been talked about by someone else in the church when it's all said and done we've all talked about somebody and they talked about us and we're not quitting the church and there's little things that happen that we didn't like and pastor called this decision and I just think he should have did it different bishop did this and I think he should have did it different I'm not leaving the church but I can't get behind what's going on and we get all of these little fractures and here we're trying to go down the road of revival and we need to have a clearer vision than we've ever had before but it's hard to see the full scope of the harvest and the revival that God is wanting to bring into the congregation because we have all of this division. Can I just dig in and preach like I'm at home? Psalm 133 verse 1. The psalmist said, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now the unity that I'm preaching about is not a charismatic ecumenical unity where we ignore doctrine. In fact, I'm not in unity with someone that doesn't believe in one God. I'm not going to unify with a Christian that believes in a trinity because that's false doctrine. 
We can't unify with people that don't believe the one God message. They don't believe in Acts 2.38, holiness, the literal future physical return of Jesus. I'm not unifying with them. We've got to have a basis of solid apostolic doctrine. We have to. That's the basis of our unity. But when brethren come together, when men and women and families in the church say our reasons for uniting are so far greater than our reasons to divide, we're going to come together. There is an anointed apostolic synergy that is created in the atmosphere. When unity is in the church, blessings began to flow. We preach very much from Acts chapter 2, but I think it behooves us to take a hard look at verse number 1 at what got chapter 2 started. The Bible says when the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place. That one accord means they were in a spirit of harmony. There was a singularity of purpose that brought them together. They not only got in one place, but they got in one accord. There's plenty of people that are getting one place. We're all in the same room on a Sunday night, but we're not always in the same accord. But when people get together in one place and there is a common burden and desire for revival and an outpouring of the Spirit, get ready, brother, because when that unity mixture gets just right there's about to be a sound from heaven there's about to be an outpouring of the spirit of God unity catapults us to the next level unity enables us to take the next step unity creates the atmosphere for the miraculous the psalmist said it's good it is pleasant. Doesn't it just feel good to be in harmony? Feels good. And so he, he pauses here at verse 1. Unity is so wonderful. It's good. It's pleasant. What is it like? David's writing this psalm. And I don't know the scenario he's thinking about, but in my mind, I see him hunched over a parchment. And I don't know what phase of life it, this was. Maybe he was in the palace and he's got this little writing room right off his bedchamber. He's got this little desk and I can see a couple of candles flickering. and He's got this quill pen and little ink bottle and there's a parchment here and he can't sleep this night and he... He's just stirred up. He's feeling the anointing of the psalmist. And he, he's, he's there in the chair, and he's dipping that quill in the ink, and he starts to write this little psalm. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then in my mind, in my imagination, I see him set the quill in the bottle of ink. He sits back in his chair. That's a good first verse. But how do I describe unity? What is it like? And boy, he feels that little Holy Ghost nudge because it was the Spirit of the Lord that inspired these words. He said, it is like the precious ointment upon the head. He was speaking here of the anointing that happened when they consecrated a priest to the office. Now here, in this pulpit, we have an, a bottle of olive oil. This would not have worked in Bible days. When we anoint you, if you're sick and you come up to be anointed, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take this stopper off, and very carefully, I'm going to tip it over, and I'm going to get just a smidge of this olive oil on one finger. And in our church, I don't know how y'all do it here. You may do it rough and crude, but at our, I tell our ministers, you take that olive oil and you just touch it. 
in the middle of someone's forehead, don't get it in their hair. So I come up to get prayed for, and you're rubbing your hand all over my hair. I'm going to get out of the spirit, and I'm not going to get nothing out of that prayer. Sure don't want this oil in my hair. But in Bible days when they anointed someone, they had what they called a horn of oil. Like it's a bunch of it. And if you were going to be consecrated to the office of the priest, they would take that big old horn of olive oil and they would pour it right on top of your head. And the oil would run down your face and your clothes. He said when people are in unity, it is like ointment upon the head. So watch this now. The anointing oil then had perfume in it. Whenever someone was anointed and the anointing started flowing, it created an atmosphere. Everybody knew when the oil was flowing because you could smell it. They put the anointing on the head. God always anoints the head before the body. The body doesn't have any anointing of itself unless it is in alignment with headship. The anointing was upon the head. Then he said this. He said, it ran down upon the the beard. Notice what the Bible did not say. It did not say the oil ran down on the face. It ran down on the beard. Now, why did the, what was the significance of the beard here? Well, beards represent maturity. Boys can't grow beards. Some of y'all have tried, but it's really pretty pathetic. Peach fuzz. But when a man is in a place of full maturity, his facial hair starts to grow. One of the things I hate about adulthood the most is having to shave twice a day. But I do it. Have to shave. Real men have to get razors. And you you don't got to do this, but these boys, there's just nothing there. So when the oil ran down on the beard, it's representing a man who is mature. But it wasn't just any man, it was Aaron's beard because this represented a mature ministry and mature leadership in the church. He's talking to us about unity. It simply means that if there's going to be unity in the congregation, it takes great maturity on the part of the people in the congregation. And it takes maturity in leadership. Maturity to know what things matter and what things really don't matter. Most of the time when we get crossed up with one another, we're arguing about issues that we will not be able to remember in 10 years, 20 years from now. It won't matter anymore. I'm going to tell you 15 years from now, it don't matter what the temperature was set at. 20 years from now, it don't matter what we spent that money on and that we bought this or didn't by that a mature person backs up and says you know I might have my own opinion but I'm going to just let my opinion be subjected to the mission of God and my personal preference is going to be subjective to what God is doing in our church because the mission is more important than me the objectives of the church and revival and souls mean more to God than anything Maturity to know what matters. Most of the stuff that we fuss about don't matter. Now let me just ask you married people here. Let's just be real. We all fuss. Any married couple that tells me they never argue, my first question is who's the doormat? 
A marriage that doesn't have arguments is a very unhealthy marriage. It means one person's a bully and the other person's getting run over and they're having resentment build up. Healthy marriages argue frequently. You feel like getting a little awkward in here right now? <laughs> but let's face it. Most of the stuff we fuss about is silly stuff. Most of us would be mortified if the details of our last marital discussion was aired in front of the church. Pick your socks up off that floor. I get sick of telling you, I ain't your mama. You spent $500 for another gun? Why? You already have a gun. I'm not brave enough to preach down that side. I'm going to tell you, sisters, the reason he needs another gun, he's got to put food on your table. And... I told my wife at Deer Seed a few months ago, I said, I would not be doing this if I didn't love you and Christiana so much. So I'm getting up like at 4 in the morning, and I hunt over at Holly Springs, and I'm driving an hour in bad weather. I'm walking in the woods in the dark. I'm climbing up on the side of a tree. It's raining and sleeting, and I'm sitting there for hours. You think I'm doing that for me? Mm -mm. I'm doing it for my family because I'm going to feed my family. That's what good men do. But man, we'll fuss. But at the end of the day, most of our fights are over stuff that's so little. How many times have great churches been disrupted? How many times have Bible studies come to a screeching halt? How many times have we got our focus off of the mission of God over little things that at the end of the day don't mount to a hill of beans? Well, hold up verse 2 again. I want to show you something here. They poured that ointment on the head. It's anointing on headship. It flowed down on the beard, Aaron's beard. But watch this. The oil flowed all the way to the skirt of his garment. Now think about this. If you were an Old Testament prophet or minister that was going to put the oil on the ministry, I understand you want to anoint the man. I understand you want his head to be covered. But that ointment is precious ointment. It wasn't just oil. The Bible said it was precious ointment. But it was poured out to such a degree that it ran all the way down and soaked the border of the robe. Oil that goes to the border of the robe is wasted oil. The oil wasn't meant to be on the border of the robe. Somebody was going to have to wash that robe and try to get the oil out. But there was such an indiscriminate, lavish outpouring of the ointment that it went down to the border of the robe. That is wasted oil, if I can see it that way. But let me just tell you something about revival churches. Sometimes when the oil gets flowing, there's got to be such a spirit of liberality and a spirit of generosity that that oil flows to the point that you can't keep track of every drop anymore. You can't trace it all. It's just got to be a spirit that says we're going to get the job done. I don't care how much it takes, how much we have to spend, we're going to get the job done. Because when you have a revelation of ointment that flows from heaven, you understand God's got an unlimited supply. He's not short. He'll grow another olive tree if he has to. There's more oil 
where that come from. When we start funding missions, it takes a lot of money. When you build a building, it takes a lot of money. When the change orders come in, it takes a lot of money. But quit nickel and diamond the building project. Quit worrying about there was 50,000 over here too much. Quit worrying about that over. Because I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who has an unlimited supply. And just like God bless you to do what you've done so far, the tap of heaven has got more to come out over this local church. Let the oil flow. Don't gripe about what gets wasted in the border of the garments. Unity. Unity. It's so wonderful. He said it's like the dew of Hermon. It comes down and that's where life comes. I've got to bring it to a close. I've went long. One more scripture, Colossians chapter 2, verse number 19. I need uh, a couple of men to help me. Good brother, are you a member of the church here? Are you a member? Okay, come help me for just a minute. What's your name? Brother Terrence. Come on, Brother Terrence. And uh, Brother, come help me. I want you to stand right here, Brother Terrence, and face the congregation. You stand on this square right here. What's your name, brother? Brother Marshall, stand on this square. Okay. Let's look at what the scripture said. Talking about the head, that's Christ. He said, the head from which all the body. Now, now watch this. It's King James wording. So you have to you gotta chew on it here. We got the head, the body by joints, everyone say joints, and bands having nourishment ministered. So what he is saying is there is a flow that comes from the head into the body. There's a flow from Christ into the church. But watch this. When it comes to the body of Christ, every person is a member. You're all different body parts in the body of Christ. Some people are the fingers, the hands, they're the doers. Some people are the feet, they, they get places. And other people, the eyes, they can see things. Other people are the mouth, and they say things. Some people are the ears, then they hear everything. Some people have got the heart, other people have the lungs. Now, each one of us have a role to play in the body of Christ. But any one of us apart in, in disunity from the other doesn't really do a lot for the body. But watch this, watch this. I saw this in the Word of God. It did something for me. By joints and bands, having nourishment ministered. This means that God wants to put nourishment into the body. But watch. The nourishment does not flow into you, Brother Marshall. Brother Terrence, God's got a blessing for the church, but it's not just coming to you as individual members of the body. God's blessing is not here and it is not here. But I want you to lift your hands up and join right in the middle here. But right here, we have a joint. And wherever there is a joint, there is a flow. When God gets ready to inject nourishment and life and anointing into the church, he's looking for the places where there is unity. And whenever brethren have joined their hands in unity, God says right there is where I'm going to command the blessing. Right there is where the virtue is going to flow. You want to have powerful church? Unify with your sister. 
unify with your brother. Join together because by joints and bands, nourishment is ministered. Let's all stand together. get together, we work together, we got to have unity, Bishop, Pastor, we got to have unity, we got to have unity, the cause is great, the mission is great, and we've got to have unity, how are we going to have unity, well, we got to let bygones be bygones. You know what else I've learned? When I start feeling like I've got to divide from someone, usually it's because I've not really talked about the real, real issue with them. But I've learned when I go to someone with a spirit of humility, not to get them told, but to really seek unity, I find out that the people I used to think was pretty bad aren't so bad after all. And I find out that God's people are broken people just like I am. And if we'll get together and just talk man to man, we can work through stuff. And we both leave feeling good. And when we get stuff patched up, there's an increase of blessing. I'm not going to be a party to a conversation that's divisive. I'm not hanging with someone that's talking bad about my preacher. I'm not hanging with someone that's second-guessing everything that's going on in the church. Because I want unity. And I want to spend the rest of my adult life building as many bridges as I know how to build. I want to make as many connections with my brothers and sisters that I can make. I want to pray for more people. I want to worship with brothers and sisters hand in hand. Because I see this in the word of God. That when there's a joint and when there's a band. I want us to have, I, I want to just have a weird, awkward altar call right now. But the blessing's going to flow and it's not going to be weird. I want us to come crowd up at the front and I want you to join up with a neighbor's hand and hold it up. I'd like every person in this room to be joined up with another member of the body and just make chains all the way across the front. Hold your hands high right now and let's just pray for a forward momentum of this church. Come on, hold just join hands, brothers and sisters. It's okay. Let's not worry about propriety right now. Let's just let's just join hands all the way across the front. And I want you to begin to lift your voice and pray for the nourishment of God to flow into this congregation in the name of the Lord. God, I pray that an anointing of unity would be upon this church. I pray, God, that there would be a unity that propels this congregation to the next level. I pray for any unity here that looks over faults. I pray for a unity for brokenness to be restored. God, I pray that right now that grudges would begin to melt across this altar. I pray that unforgiveness and feelings of unforgiveness, let them begin to dissipate as the Holy Ghost touches. I challenge the spirits of racism. I challenge disunity. I pray for the blessing of God to flow upon this church. God, I pray that the oil would flow like it's never flown before. I pray, God, that marriages that have been at odds, let them come together in unity right now. I pray for families that have been fractured. I pray for unity to flow in the name of Jesus. Come on, church, let's pray. We need to pray it through. Let's pray it through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Press in. The Holy Ghost is doing the work right now. Hallelujah. I want you to start calling the names of other families in this church. Call their name out right now. Call out the name of people you work for. Call out the name of your employees. 
pray for God's help to be with them in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for this church. We pray for the members of this church. We pray for your blessings to flow in your life. I pray for your blessings to be on our pastor and his family. I pray the anointing of God to rest upon him. I don't want to belabor this altar. I'm just going to tell you right now, we're not where we need to go right now. I've just brought to you the word of the Lord, and, and, and we need to pray this in to the, to the spirit of this church. And in the spirit of this message, we need to be in unity with brothers and sisters. I'd like you to take two or three steps and join up with someone that you normally wouldn't join up with. And I want you to begin to pray right now. Let's pray over revival. Let's pray over the mission. Let's pray over the future in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, pray earnestly. Lift your voice and pray earnestly. Pray with a passion. Pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. Let's pray for the blessings of God to flow. Let's pray, God. God move, God move, God move, God move, break strongholds. I pray the Spirit of the Lord to get to moving. I pray that the glory of the Lord settle down upon my brother. Anoint his ministry, Lord. Let your word fill his mouth. I pray, God, that that precious ointment would begin to flow in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that an anointing that changes the atmosphere, let it flow. I pray for unity in the youth group. I pray for unity amongst the young adults. I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be bonds formed. Let there be a bond in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it, prayer warriors praying in the Holy Ghost. Let those tongues flow. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. You feel this settling down right now? 
It's good. It's pleasant. It's good. It's pleasant. There's a flow of ointment right now. Just wave your hands to the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord right now. There's something precious flowing in this room. Jesus. Come on, everybody, feel after the Holy Ghost together. Everyone feeling after the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. I just keep having a little nudge or something. Pastor, Sister Voskis, would you mind stepping up next to your husband? If, if y'all would, just step, everyone step back a little bit. I, I want the men of this church, if you're a member of this church, I want all the brethren to come gather around this shepherd and his wife and sisters if you kindly let these men gather around hallelujah hallelujah God's doing unbelievable things and I know you guys know this but Potts Camp Church is seeing dimensions of revival that a lot of churches have only dreamed about. And, and the blessing of God's flowed in the outreach. And you guys have broken barriers. And, and so much good is happening. It's going to happen. And I don't know too much about your building project, but I walked through it. I was down here a couple weeks ago and was absolutely astounded. You realize North Mississippi doesn't have anything like what you're building. And we're not building an albatross. It's just going to sit there empty. But that building's going to facilitate revival. In this church, this church through your involvement in the ALJC and your involvement in world missions, has a national and a global impact. But we just built the building and we moved in it in, in Memphis. We moved in it January of 2019. When I tell you there's a spiritual pressure that will come on a pastor in a church in the months leading up to the crossing out of the old building. And in those first weeks in the new, it's a, it's a little critical point. It's like the enemy pulls out his stops to pound away. But you know what? We're going to pray right now. And we're not going to pray that God take the pressure off. Because I think that comes with the territory. But we're going to pray that a grace would flow on Pastor and Sister Voskis that supersedes the pressure. That where the fight of the enemy comes the hardest, that God's grace is going to be more than adequate. 
And we're going to pray that that grace would flow across this church. And we're going to pray that the men of this church would be in unity. I want you to reach your hands this way and lay your hands on their shoulders. Don't touch their heads, but lay your hands on their shoulders right now. Let's just pray in the name of Jesus. God, I pray over this shepherd. I pray over Sister Voskis. I pray, God, that your grace would flow upon them. I pray for wisdom to be upon them, a special wisdom for a special season. I pray for the anointing of your spirit to be upon them to lead this congregation. I pray that unity would be amongst the men of this congregation. In the name of Jesus, God, we hold up the hands of this man. God, we stand behind this leader. We pray, God, that you would anoint him. We pray for their health. We pray for their mental health. We pray for their spiritual well-being. I pray over the finances of this couple and the finances of this church. I pray, God, upon their friendships and their relationship. I pray for their children. I pray that the blessings of God. Can you just call your pastor's name right now? Call out the name of this family in the name of Jesus. Jesus, move for the Voskis family. Empower them, Lord. Anoint them to lead us in the path that you've chosen for this church. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Now, can you put your hands together? Let's give the Lord praise. He's heard our prayer tonight. Let's give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just clap a little more fervently. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. One more time, let's worship the Lord tonight. Let's thank him for his word. Let's thank him for his presence. Thank you, God. You know what we need. You know when we need it, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Go ahead and praise him. Hallelujah. Seal it with the praise tonight. your hand over and pray for somebody close to you. Amen. Reach your hand over and pray for somebody close to you. Pray the blessing of the Lord over your brother, your sister. Thank you, Jesus. Over your family. Release the blessing of the Lord over your house. When we come into alignment with the Word, there's a release of the anointing that flows naturally. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Now lift your hands to heaven and you ought to claim a promise. You ought to reach up and claim that promise right now of that anointing that flows. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, I feel peace in the house of the Lord right now, don't you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There's some people that's needed peace, and you're getting it right now. You're feeling a rest for your soul. That's the, what happens when the word and the anointing come. Hallelujah. Yeah, 
I receive it in Jesus' name. God, I receive it for my family, for my children, for my marriage, for my home, for my church. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Amen. The Bible said it's as the dew of Hermon. Can we just be honest and, and, and tell it that we don't always have rain? Man, I wish we did. I wish we had rain all the time. But sometimes you don't have rain. But if you'll step out of your house early enough on a hot July morning, just as the sun comes up and you trudge through that grass, you're going to find that it may not have rained in a long time, but that dew has covered the ground. And unity in the body is like the dew of Hermon. It is a consistent, continual covering that falls on a congregation. And when we get to that place, that's where God not suggests a blessing, but he commands it. The devil can't stop it. The world can't stop it. Hell can't stop it. Because when we get in that alignment and that dew falls God commands, I'm blessing that church. I'm blessing that family. I'm blessing that marriage. I'm blessing that congregation. I'm blessing that youth group. I'm blessing that ministry. God command a blessing in Jesus' name. How many have enjoyed Brother Adams again tonight? Amen. I can't wait for him to come back. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.